Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast where we talk about hidden history, depolitical policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. Okay, here's another interesting guy. Died in 1923, Schuyler, S-C-H-U-Y-L-E-R, that's his first name, Schuyler Wheeler. Heir to the old line Dutch colonial land grant Schuyler fortune back in the 1600s. He invented an electric fan in 1882 and an electric battery and was president of the American Institute of Electrical Engineers. He was president of Crocker Wheeler Company, the pioneer manufacturers of small electric motors. The 1915 Who's Who, page 2512, has him saying of himself, quote, has been prominent in the development of the electric motor and especially in the direct application of electricity to driving tools. Inventor of numerous electrical and mechanical devices, the electric elevator, electric fire engine, series multiple motor control, paralleling of dynamos, etc., and consultant to the New York Board of Electrical Control. Wheeler electricalized the Gatling gun so only a button needed to be pushed. Wow. Now, that was quite the invention. That re relates right back to the old uh, mobster days and, of course, the military as well. And that's something that uh, probably be hard to really explain how important that one invention was at that time. Yeah. Now, 1937, Andrew Mellon passed away. And according to Congressman Wright Patman, Quote, Mellon has violated more laws, caused more suffering, and illegally acquired more property than any other person on earth, unquote. Mellon was a heavy holder of shares in more than 300 corporations. He was the premier financial genius of the 20th century, bar none. Today, Bank of New York Mellon represents $34 trillion. 
Mellon held off the Rockefellers in oil with his giant Gulf Oil Corporation, and he held off J.P. Morgan Sr. in United States Steel with Union Share and Steel. Conflicts exist inside the Pilgrims Society, but the public never hears anything about this menacing shadow organization. His son Paul became a member and was said to have, quote, controlled thousands of companies, unquote. That was in a biography of Paul Mellon, Portrait of an Oil Baron, 1973 or 4 by William Hoffman. Okay, another death from 1937, Elihu Root is remembered as the greatest administrator in American history. Root helped Andrew Carnegie set up his dangerous, subversive, crown loyalist British Empire Globalism Foundations. Contrary to erroneous opinion, Root did not oppose the Federal Reserve Act. Samuel Insole, 1938, Chicago Electric Utilities Kingpin, <coughs> who intentionally acted to bankrupt 600,000 investors. William Fellowes Morgan, middle name F-E-L-L-O-W-E-S, died in 1943, remembered as the father of refrigerated warehousing with Merchants Refrigerating Company and related to the family of Baron Fellowes of England, which is close to the royal family. Lord Fellowes, Pilgrims London, is in the leaked 2014 roster. This stuff goes back uh, before the time of William the Conqueror in 1066. William Fellowes Morgan was an Episcopalian and a member of the Jekyll Island Club and a director of the Silver Suppressing Chemical Bank connected to the DuPonts, which is now part of Silver Rigger, J.P. Morgan Chase, Charles, Charles T. Yerkes, Y-E-R-K-E-S, death 1905. A convicted financial criminal, sentenced to 33 months, got it reduced to seven months via a complex political scheme. Later, he built the underground electric railway system of metropolitan London and succeeded in blocking J.P. Morgan Sr., another member, from entering that market. And uh, Yerkes also controlled mass transit in Chicago. Yerkes has a crater on the moon named after him, and he founded Yerkes Observatory. Now, J.P. Morgan Sr. expressed a lot of consternation about Yerkes muscling him out. And uh, I want to mention something else about the J.P. Morgan <coughs> line. They have in their genealogy Huguenot ancestry. That's H-U-G-U-E-N-O-T, which is French Protestants tracing to the massacre in 1572 by the Roman Catholics of the Huguenots who, who are said to have massacred around 60,000 Huguenots in France because they wouldn't submit to the Pope. Well, they fled to countries like the Netherlands and thence to England. The Huguenots also migrated to the New World and they acquired tremendous wealth. The Huguenot Society of America its officials are always members of the pilgrims. And so there's antagonism toward the Pope in, in all this. 
although they do have some high level Catholics in it. But ever since 15, well, it goes back uh, beyond uh, all these centuries when uh, Knights of the King assassinated Beckett, Thomas Beckett. I think that was around 1170 AD. They butchered him with swords. And uh, then in 1534, Henry VIII ran the priests out of England to start his own denomination, the Church of England. 1588, the Catholic Spanish Armada attempted invasion of England. It was defeated by bad weather and by a fleet of small, fast, maneuverable vessels that spread fire to the invading Spanish fleet. But their intention was to take over England, kill the royals, and get everything back to the Roman Catholic Church. Well, if they would have succeeded, we'd be speaking Spanish right now. So in 1605, they attempted the gunpowder plot, blowing up Parliament. Well, that also failed. Well, ever since these events, the papacy has played distant second fiddle on the world stage to the royal family. All right, here's an interesting one. Sosthenes Ben, B-E-H-N, death, 1957, founded International Telephone and Telegraph, ITT Corporation. The Earl of Halifax, death, 1959, president of the Pilgrims of London, 1950 to 58, and as British Viceroy of India in the 1920s, dumped hundreds of millions of silver ounces from melted rupee coins onto the world market, directly causing the Great Depression by killing the trade value of silver, which was the money of the entire nation of India, China, and the Far East. At that time, we did have export industries to the Far East, and when their money became so depreciated, they couldn't pay for our exports, and millions of workers got laid off. It was the attack on silver that caused the depression, not the crash of 1929. Ah, that's great information, because that is one of those that you hear a lot you know, they, they say it's the federal, all the Federal Reserve's fault and everything, which I, I believed. Uh, but now you're telling me something different, and this sounds plausible to me and makes me want to look into it more. This is new information to me. See, so what you can do is you can go to Silver Steelers and just click on the main HTML. And uh, now it's a chronology of this organization. And, and I'll admit that um, it's not arranged as well as it could be just like this impromptu talk is not arranged as well as it could be, but it's such an enormous mass of material that if I wait till I've got it organized in a perfect manner, I'll never get it out. So you have to start somewhere, but it's talking about the cause of the Great Depression. And uh, I keep talking about this interview I had in July, last July, Maneco 64, um, it's called The Last Great Secret of Modern History. And if you'll click on that interview, from starting at about, um, let's see, uh, oh, I think it's minute 24, minute 2414 to minute 2825, just four minutes, it'll tell you U.S. senators and uh, other people telling you what caused the Depression was England rounded up an enormous amount of silver rupees in India, melted them down into bullion, dumped them on the Shanghai silver market and other uh, bullion markets of the world, 
crashed the price of silver from a dollar nineteen an ounce after World War One down to twenty four and a half cents in February nineteen thirty one, and it, it put all these uh, workers out of business in, in the Lancashire textile district in England, uh, all over the South. Uh, cotton farms were ruined, and the Pilgrim Society had people going around stealing cotton farms as distressed assets. And uh, all this is covered up, covered up, covered up. But it was the attack on silver, and they say, oh, the, the uh, crash of 29 caused the Depression. Well, no, it didn't. What it did was it enabled these industrial titans to recapture their their payrolls, but uh, it, it took away people's savings, but they still had employment, but the employment went away when the export industries failed because the money of the Far East was uh, pissed on by the British. Mm, that makes total and, sense. Right. Well, it's it's all documented. I mean, uh, it's uh, Shanghai Review, uh, senatorial uh, sources, uh, New York Times, El Economista, Mexico City. I mean, I cannot get enough documentation there. I'm a fanatic about documenting things. Yeah, that's what I. That's why I love your work, man. I mean, that's and it's so important because we live in this time where it's just. Even our news shows, you know, they're nothing but, uh, well, they're propaganda for one, but they're not even news for the most part. It's just like some guy's opinion on this, that, or the other, and and there's no documentation. There's no, they don't give you a source to back up anything, and I think we need more of this documentation and, and these sources because people, that, that way people can learn on their own, you know? Well, I don't expect anybody to believe me if, if they're getting hit in the face by hailstones. It's okay. But uh, it's all there, and this is not something I can invent. For instance, large university libraries and large city libraries, hundreds of libraries all over the country have who's who in America volumes <clears throat> going back over a century, and you can find in there some of these listings says Pilgrims USA, The Pilgrims New York City. Well, I don't have any way to drive around all these libraries and, and pencil that in. I can't do these things. I can't get it into the books. I can't get it into the microfilm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is not a fantasy. It's all there. So um, we'll give a few more names here. John D. Rockefeller Jr. died 1960. Donated the land for the UN buildings. A 1953 unauthorized biography on him was entitled Rockefeller Internationalist, the man who misrules the world. <clears throat> As of the 1948 list, David was in the Pilgrims. He may have been in as early as 1946. L. Revere Crandall died 1978. Did the construction of the UN buildings. Pilgrim Society member. Henry Clay Irons, I-R-O-N-S, died 1962. Rebuilt France following World War I. Herbert Hoover, 1964. As president, refused to call an international silver conference while the British were wrecking the world economy by massive silver dumping, depressing the price. Up to 640 million ounces were dumped. Hoover owned large gold deposits in Western Australia. Henry, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, quickly, I, you know, so I've noticed, I know Anthony Sutton, I think he left the Hoover 
uh, his uh, foundation because you know when he came out with uh, information about how you know some of these American companies and financiers have been funding communism, they did, they told him to stop, and so he wouldn't stop, and he kept on writing about it. And I think he left the Hoover Foundation or the Hoover Institute. But you know I've noticed here recently because I've tried to look into them a little bit, and boy. If you look on their YouTube, just a quick cursory look of some of their uh, YouTube videos, they have quite a few Council on Foreign Relations members. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I figured that Hoover was in with the, the Pilgrims. Oh, he was in the he was in the London list. Uh, I think it was 1924. But yeah, I can I can go to court and document what I'm saying. And of course, they don't want any of this in court. They don't want this to come to public attention. Uh, now, who appoints federal judges? Ah, uh, the president appoints them. Who's always an honorary member of the Pilgrim Society? Oh, the president. I can show that over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was about to mention Henry Sturgis Morgan died in 1982. Third generation member uh, from the J.P. Morgan uh, Senior and Junior. He founded Silver Suppressor Morgan Stanley and Company with Harold Stanley, another member. Henry was a director of Aetna Insurance Giant and major silver user, General Electric. Sir Sigmund Warburg died 1982. According to Business Week magazine, 1974, Warburg, quote, counts among his friends some of the most powerful men in the world, unquote, and was the creator of the huge Eurobond market. And uh, Robert Foman, F-O-M-O-N, died in year 2000. Uh, was CEO of EF Hutton and Company Investment Bankers. Now, in December 1986, the company pled guilty to 2,000-plus felony counts, but neither Foman nor any Hutton executives were charged. In early 1987, Hutton's board of directors forced Foman to step down as head of the company. <clears throat> now, um, Here's a really interesting one. John Bradamus, death year 2016. Well, Bradamus was originally a Rhodes Scholar. Later on, he became a member of the Pilgrims. Most of them don't make it, just a few, probably under 2% of them. And Bradamus was decorated by Greece, Spain, and Italy. While a congressman from Indiana, Bradamus voted for the 1965 Coinage Act which removed most silver from our money. Bradamus' entry in Who's Who in the East 2014 was 114 lines in length, which demonstrates what my colleague Joel Vanderich has said, that these are the people with endless resumes. Bradamus became president of New York University in 1981, which was founded in the 1820s by Albert Gallatin, who was Treasury Secretary, and his descendant by the same name was a Pilgrims official in the 1920s. Bradamus oh. then chaired the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, was a director of NBC News, Columbia Pictures, KOS Pharmaceuticals, Texaco, New York Stock Exchange, Oxford University Press, trustee Rockefeller Foundation, overseer of Harvard University, Director, American Council on Education, Trustee, Aristotle Onassis Foundation, 
Center for National Policy, United States Japan Foundation, advisor on mental illness <laughs> to New York <laughs> University Medical Center. If you don't like them, you're mentally ill, see. Aspen Institute, Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, member central committee of the World Council of Churches. By the way, the Vatican is not a member of that. Bradamus was advisor to the president of Carter Center at Emory University, life trustee of Notre Dame University. Yeah, he was a Catholic, but Bradamus was a Methodist. He was advisor to, to the David Rockefeller Fellowships, recipient National Governors Association Award for 1988. Now, hey, that, that suggests the year 2020 the year of the Roman governors, all these governors becoming tyrants in many states over this bogus virus scare. Now, uh, Bradamus received the Benjamin Rush Award of Dickinson College. Benjamin Rush is called the father of American psychiatry. And in 1793, Rush was forced out of the Philadelphia College of Physicians due to bleeding people to death and killing them with mercury poisoning, at least 330 murders, making Benjamin Rush the top mass killer in our history, besides warmongers and pharma peddlers. Uh, Bush's, I mean, uh, Rush's yard was so drenched with blood, it was a breeding ground for tens of thousands of flies. The Rush family line later intersected with the Biddle family of the Second United States Bank and later represented in the Pilgrims Society. Biddle, yeah, that's a big name for sure. I mean, most people uh, should know that name and and a lot of these names that you've mentioned. I mean, it's these guys have been the heads of these industries. A lot of these industries that people know and use their products or, or use their transportation or whatever it might be you know we have no idea who's behind a lot of these companies and these these banks and these financiers it's just uh, really interesting to find out like what kind of history that they've had and what other institutions they belong to it's uh, i really appreciate you bringing this to the fold yeah bailey banks and biddle high-end jewelry store you know when uh president jackson who was in my opinion our greatest president uh, it wasn't anything like Biden now. Biden's, of course, a crass coward, letting American soldiers and Americans die in Afghanistan at the hands of hostiles, refusing to help get them out. But Andrew Jackson was personally in, in eight pistol duels, and he took a, uh, a round uh, in one of those duels, which he carried for the rest of his life. But Andrew Jackson was uh, the total opposite of, of anything that would be a coward. Well, when, when Jackson closed the second United States Bank, Nicholas Biddle, who'd been the head of the bank, what did this turd do? He took a bunch of these worthless paper banknotes and he fled and he started buying up land, land tiles in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, limb-flaming people who didn't know that the bank had been closed, and by the time they learned, it was too late, and these people are just cheats, and they, they'll, they'll slit a throat just as soon as look at you, like uh, Clint Eastwood's movie, Hang Him High, 
where the judge says he talks about marauders who will kill you for a hat band. That's what these these guys are like. It's amazing when you think about Jackson and how he ran on a platform of getting rid of the central banks and and the you know presidents nowadays barely even mention the central banks. If they do, it's something that they're doing that they're praising the the central banks. So uh, yeah, and they tried to assassinate him too. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely correct. There was a, a guy that approached him and uh, he, he aimed a pistol at him close range and it misfired and he pulled out another pistol. It misfired too. And they, they finally uh, put him in an insane asylum. And But every other day in the White House, he would get a letter, anonymous letter, threatening his life. <clears throat> well, okay, let's do a few more. In 2016, Stephen Van Cortlandt Wilberding died. The Van Cortlandts were, are, an old Dutch colonial dynasty from the 1600s, owning immense acreage around Albany, New York. At yourobserver.com, we read, quote, Wilberding's reach spanned the globe. And at legacy.com, we read, quote, he was descended from one of the oldest New York families his first ancestor in the New World, having laid out Wall Street. Steve earned his MBA from Columbia University and worked in international investment banking for Merrill Lynch and Company for 30 years. During this time, he started Merrill's banking business in Japan, managed its European investment banking from London, and managed the Saudi Arabian government's $150 billion of reserves while living in Riyadh for more than five years. Steve also ran a merchant banking subsidiary dealing with emerging markets in Latin America, did privatizations in Eastern Europe and Russia, and established and ran three joint ventures for Merrill in Mumbai, India, unquote. No mention of his Pilgrim Society membership. It's amazing how they've been able to keep so quiet. I mean, you can't hardly even find anything about the dinners you know, I've been able to find maybe three or four different websites that have the speeches. I think there's one of Churchill. It's pretty easy to find and one of Eleanor Roosevelt, maybe. And I was reading on one of the government websites the other day. I don't remember which website it was, but I went in there in time to Pilgrim's Society. It brought up a few things, but, uh, you know, it's obscure little paragraph here and there. But one was talking about uh, Kissinger in the 70s. I don't remember which year. I want to say 72. Could have been a couple. 73. Okay. And they even referred to it as the Pilgrim's Speech. Yeah, December uh, 1973. Yeah, they sent that to me when I wrote them my first inquiry. And uh, I says, uh, hey, I understand that uh, you people are running a secret society. Well, I said some things they didn't like. and So I got a letter back, which I still have. They says, well... Assistant Secretary Mrs. E.M. Simpson, she says, the Pilgrims of the United States is not a secret society. There is no other information available, blah, blah, blah. That's where I got their emblem that I had transferred to a T-shirt when I wore it to confront Sir Ivor Seward Richard in May 1979 at a university speech. There he's a member and a U.K. ambassador to the U.N., an important post, and nothing said about it. And they mentioned his other memberships, but not this one. That's just strange. I mean, that's uh, obvious that they don't want 
this group to get out. They don't want the names to get out. They, and, and another thing, it's ridiculous too. They try to act like, well, we're just a dinner society that fosters good relations between the Brits and the United States. The most important men in the, in both countries coming together and we're supposed to believe that they don't talk about anything important. And, you know, that's like thinking that they don't talk about anything important at Bilderberg or anything important at Bohemian Grove. You know, it's just ridiculous and it makes no sense. But, uh, you know, of course, most people won't look much further into it. Well, I regard trilateral as definitely more important than Bilderberg. And I'll tell you why. Um, they, they are founded uh, 19 years apart, but... Um, the co-founder of Trilateral was another Pilgrims member, George S. Franklin Jr., who was, guess what, David Rockefeller's roommate at Harvard University. Well, Bilderberg excludes people from the Far East. Trilateral covers the same Europe and America personality. A lot of the same people are members of both, not all of them. But uh, the trilateral brings in the Far East, which Bilderberg does not. And to see how important the Far East is, Japan at times in the past has been a very effective counterweight against China and could be again. So there's your case for trilateral being more important than Bilderberg. That makes now, sense. Yeah, David Rockefeller died in 2017. He, he probably died a bunch of times before then because he got how many heart transplants he was decorated by over 30 foreign governments he was called chairman of the world's cash flow for 55 years recognized as the leader of the usa establishment he never admitted to being in the royalist pilgrims society and never mentioned it apparently his life's most profound secrets well yeah he would have been a big shot in there for sure. And uh, I got to ask you one more since we're talking about trilateral commission. Uh, it's got to be, I know the answer, but, uh, or I think I do, but it does look like a 666. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, I was going to ask you about Brzezinski. Was he a Pilgrim Society member? I don't have him any of the lists that I have. However, he may have been, uh, misconstrued as a member by, by, by being a, a guest or a guest speaker. Gotcha. Uh, and, and so if anybody is a guest or a guest speaker, uh, it has the same effect as a regular member. Uh, they're, they're in with them. And Kissinger, I've got, the, I don't have the uh, Pilgrims of Great Britain book, but I have the uh, one of the United States. I know it's got a picture of Kissinger, maybe two pictures in there. I don't know if I read it in that one or I read it somewhere else. It might have been on your website that Kissinger was one of the, uh, what, do they call it uh, executives or vice one of president. the vice president? Okay, of the Pilgrim Society. Okay, all right. Yeah. Like Rockefeller, I don't know. I don't know exactly how old Kissinger is. I think he's in his 80s, if I'm not mistaken, late 80s. But that guy has looked like death for the like the last five or six years, and I don't know what they're doing to keep the guy alive. But you know, he, he even met with um, I know he met with Trump, and I believe there's uh, there's a picture of him and Biden together, and it looks as if it's recent because Biden has less hair. So I believe that he probably met with him even uh, you know even Biden. So he's met with every president in the last what uh, 
50 years or so. And so has the royal family. Yeah, and you can see, you know, if anybody wants to look, I know there's some interesting pictures of Kissinger with uh, Lady Diana. Uh, he's kind of like Googling, you know, he's he's looking at her. Like, like there's one where he's obviously looking down at her boobs and, and like, I think there's one where he's got his hand on her shoulders and really creepy like and uh, I mean, go well, under that skirt a little bit, huh? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what a creep. Well, uh, I've got a really interesting character here who died in 1976. <clears throat> Floyd Odlum, O-D-L-U-M. History News Network, May 9, 2004, said of him, quote, a powerful financial wizard and industrialist, personally convinced Eisenhower to seek the presidency. The Odlum papers are at the Eisenhower Library, unquote. Odlum was widely reputed to be one of the 10 richest men in the world at nationmaster.com. Ferdinand Lundberg in America's 60 Families, 1937, page 32, <clears throat> said of Atlas Corporation, Odlum's multi-industry holding company, quote, the corporation is probably the biggest investment trust in the world, unquote. American National Biography, published under the aegis of the American Council of Learned Societies, 1999 edition, volume 16, page 623, said of Odlum, quote, he built the Atlas Corporation into one of the world's greatest investment corporations, controlling many companies in a vast array of industries, unquote. Time Magazine, September 12, 1942, said Odlum buys everything for 50 cents on the dollar. In 1954, Odlum bought the nation's biggest uranium deposit in Utah, the Hidden Splendor Mine. Odlum was also the dominant shareholder in Standard Uranium. John A. Roosevelt, son of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, became an officer and director of Standard Uranium. John Roosevelt turned up on, his, on page 22, pardon me, 2820 of the 1981 Who's Who as a member of the Pilgrims and joined Bates Group in 1957, where he was a director till 1981. Bates Group, that's B-A-C-H-E, was founded by Jules S. Bates of the Pilgrims, president and treasurer of Dome Mines, since became Placer Dome Gold Mines, Who's Who, 1928, page 203. Bates held interest in chemicals, liquor, land, banking, railroads, insurance, compromise, oil, agriculture, and Chrysler Corporation. Bates Group played a role in flushing the Hunt Brothers down the Comex Silver Drain in 1980. Roosevelt was a trustee of Eisenhower Exchange Fellowship Foundation, whose scholars favor weakening American national sovereignty, just like the Rhodes Scholars. Uh, director of Boy Scouts of America, thoroughly infiltrated, and trustee, State University of New York and Roosevelt College, Chicago. Now back to Odlum. The Atomic Energy Commission was buying uranium from Odlum. Oh, the AEC was headed by a member uh, whose name was, um, oh dear me, I'll think of it eventually here. Um, I think I've got it in my notes further down, but anyway, we'll, we'll get to it. Anyway, he was American uh, Atomic Energy Commission was buying uranium from Odlum, especially in the 1950s. That, in addition to his huge aviation administration interests, 
is why Adlam insinuated himself into confidentiality with several presidents. Now, page 1888 of the 1952 Who's Who shows Pilgrim Society member Richard Cunningham Patterson, Jr., born in 1886, as a director of Consolidated Volte, I don't know how they got that word, but V-U-L-T-E-E, -E, Aircraft Corporation, of which Odlum was chairman. It was later called Convair. Patterson was a day laborer in the South Dakota gold mines, 1905 to 1907. But in 1920, he became assistant to the president of J.G. White Engineering Corporation. J.G. White was listed in the 2002 Pilgrims of Great Britain book, page 185, as a charter member in New York in 1903. In 1921-22, Patterson was with the DuPont Chemical Conglomerate, Pilgrim Society, Big Silver Users. In 1932-36, Patterson was a director of National Broadcasting Company, owned by RCA, remember this is one of Odlum's associates, and became Assistant Secretary of Commerce, 1938-39, uh, where he was associated with the Export-Import Bank of the U.S., a device for looting taxpayers. In 1939-43, Patterson was installed as chairman of Odlum's RKO Corporation, which was uh, movies, radio, media. And then uh, Patterson became ambassador to Yugoslavia in 1944-47, to Guatemala, 48-51, then ambassador to Switzerland. Patterson was an administrative officer with the American Commission to negotiate the peace in 1919, whose role was to ensure that G Germany would be so galled by the terms of the treaty that they'd attack Europe as soon as the next generation reached soldier age. That's exactly what happened. Patterson, <clears throat> one of Odlum's key associates, was also a director of the China America Council of Commerce and Industry. Odlum was a trustee of the Army and Air Force Aid Society and the American Institute for Foreign Trade and as of 1952 was a past president of the important American Arbitration Association having to do with legalities. As of 1953, Patterson was chairman of Arthritis and Rheumatism Foundation, long associated with pharmaceutical interests gouging the public. Odlum's wife, Jacqueline Cochran Odlum, deceased 1980, held more aviation records than any other pilot, men included, in history. She flew a bomber to England in 1941 and became flight captain in the British Air Transport Auxiliary, training pilots. <clears throat> On return to the United States, she organized the WASPs, Women's Air Force Service Pilots. She was decorated with the Distinguished Service Medal in 1945, became a lieutenant colonel in the USAF Reserves in 1948. She was the first woman to break the sound barrier in 1953 and flew at twice the speed of sound on June 3, 1964. In 1961, she achieved an altitude record of 55,253 feet in an F-104G Starfighter and was the first woman <clears throat> to make a blind landing. Now, let's take a hard look at what this Pilgrim Society member Floyd Odlum did working with another Pilgrim Society member, Stuart Symington, to seize the wealth necessary. 
Symington was chairman of Emerson Electric Manufacturing Company, St. Louis, 1938 to 1945, a war contractor. In 1945-46, Symington was surplus property administrator in Washington, D.C., disposing of unused war materials at giveaway prices to the Pilgrim Society network of looters. From 1947 to, to 1950, Symington was secretary of the Air Force. In 1950, Symington became chairman of the National Security Resources Board also, which was suggestive of more recent presidential executive orders authorizing the seizure of commodities in wartime. Symington was a personal friend of Floyd and Jacqueline Odlum and entertained them at his Air Force administrative office. Jack Northrop of Northrop Aviation was in competition with Convair Aviation, controlled by Atlas Corporation of, of Floyd Odlum for defense contracting business. Pilgrim Society member Stuart Symington, who became a senator from Missouri in 1952, and his son James became a congressman from Missouri uh, in 1962-65. James was administrative assistant to the Attorney General of the U.S. We've had a number of AGs who, who became members. Uh, before that, uh, Symington was, James Symington was ambassador to assistant to the U.S. Ambassador to Great Britain, John Hay Whitney, who turned up by 1973 as a president of the Pilgrims U.S. Now, Odlum wanted to buy out Northrop on terms favorable to himself and bad for Northrop, so Northrop declined. After that, pressure mounted from Washington against Northrop. In 1953, Jack Northrop sold out all his Northrop shares and left the business. Symington, while Secretary of the Air Force, canceled Northrop's B-49 bomber project. General Curtis LeMay, General George Kinney, and General Henry Arnold testified in favor of backing up Symington's decision. Kinney, Knight Commander, Order of the British Empire, sided against Northrop due to Arlem being a member of an interlocking British Empire organization, the Pilgrims. Who's who? 1966, page 1135, Hans Kenny stating he was president of the Arthritis and Rheumatism Foundation since 1951, of which Odlum was chairman. LeMay was at that time Air Force Chief of Staff and a personal friend of Jacqueline Cochran Odlum. By the 1970s, LeMay was a trustee of National Geographic Society, another Pilgrim Society-run organization like the Smithsonian Institution and the American Institution for Natural History in New York. In 1980, Northrop broke silence and said Symington canceled the deal because Northrop refused to merge with Convair because Convair, meaning Odlum, attempted to put too harsh a deal with Northrop. Get this. As part of the cancellation order, Secretary Symington ordered seven of the Northrop B-49s destroyed. Concerning the B-36 hearings after that contract cancellation, Northrop admitted by 1980, coincidentally when Odlum's wife passed on, that he, Northrop, lied under oath to Congress 
because he was fearful that Symington might totally destroy his company in retaliation for his refusal of Odlum's merger terms. There were rumors in the press at that time that Symington was to be installed by Odlum as head of Convair after the takeover of Northrop. Lewis A. Johnson, another Secretary of Defense, later alleged that Symington conspired with Odlum to switch Air Force contracts. For documentation supporting these charges, refer to the House Committee on Armed Services Investigation of the Bomber Program, 81st Session of Congress, 1949, page 13, American Combat Planes, 1982, by Ray Wagner, Doubleday and Company, Northrop Flying Wings, 1988, by Edward Maloney, World War II Publications, Truman, by David McCulloch, Simon & Schuster, 1992, Northrop's Big Wing, by David Baker, Air International, June 1993, B-2 Intrigue, by Graham Stallard, Air International, August 1993, page 117, and Big Bomb, Air International, November 1993, page 285. So this is what happens when Pilgrim Society members conspire to ruin wealthy men who are not members. None of the above reference sources mention anything concerning Odlum and Symington, both being members of the Pilgrims, nor of Patterson. Undoubtedly, not one of them knew anything about it. So monumental is this wall of silence. In 1961, Odlum became chairman of Federal Resources Corporation and the 1966 Who's Who, page 1592, listed him as chairman of the Lovelace Foundation for Medical Education and Research at Albuquerque, New Mexico. According to page 57 of that edition, Robert Orville Anderson was vice chairman of the Lovelace Foundation. Anderson was also listed at that time as chairman of Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas and director of Atlantic Refining Company, whose major stockholder was Pilgrim Society member David Rockefeller. Odlum was also president of the Hertz Foundation for Science Fellowships, was awarded the Presidential Certificate of Merit. Many Pilgrim Society members have been closely involved with United States presidents, including billionaire Walter Annenberg of TV Guide with Nixon and Reagan. Take note, none of these Pilgrim Society members, Odlum, Annenberg, Patterson, and Symington, were Yale graduates, so we know they weren't members of Skull and Bones, yet consider the huge power they exercised. Well, someone alleged billionaires cannot be powerful unless they belong to Skull and Bones. Come on with that Skull and Bones theory already. Whoever you have, it's quite inferior to the Pilgrims, which transcends all universities. Now, Skull and Bones is a society junior to the Pilgrims because college-age boys are admitted into Bones. Admits into the Pilgrims appears to take place almost always after age 40 and often after age 50. Then again, the Pilgrims is the only elitist society of which the president is always a member, regardless of which university he came from. Annenberg became ambassador to Great Britain, 69 to 74, which country set up Skull and Bones as an influence front in America, peddling opium in China. The Pilgrims encompasses all the key elitist rich men in America, whereas Skull and Bones encompasses only those from Yale. Even at Yale, it does not encompass them all. Scrolling key is also very significant 
Wolf's Head, Book and Snake, Berzelius. Berzelius appears to be the runt of the litter. Now, <clears throat> the case of Odlum and Symington and their criminal collusion to wipe out a man who wouldn't sell out at a lowball price is a glimmer or a mirror to indicate that the Pilgrim Society watches and observes and waits to behold any entrepreneurs who build a very successful company and then either get taken over, squeezed out, or invited to become part of the network. And if the offer to affiliate with the network is declined, that rising company will come under fire and be brought down, most likely by the machinery of the legal system. No wonder some Supreme Court justices have been members or in their orbit and United States Attorney Generals, including George Wickersham and Herbert Brownell, to I recall without checking my files. Oh, Kleindienst was also a member. No wonder the Justice Department won't investigate the Silver Users Association as to antitrust issues. A final note on Pilgrim Society member Floyd Odlum. Whereas he was pre obviously a fanatic devotee of his own financial interests, he was actively hostile to silver mining interests, probably for two reasons. Industrial users like to steal silver cheaply, and because Odlum had Federal Reserve connections, as we just saw, paper money creators detest silver. From 1940 to 44, Odlum was a special advisor to the OPA, Office of Price Administration, which placed a federal price cap on both domestic and imported silver. See War and Silver in the Archives at No Silver Nationalization, 48,950 words. You can be certain that while Odlum was selling uranium to the Atomic Energy Commission, he didn't want any federal price cap placed on that. Laws and regulations are crafted to harm those outside the Pilgrim Society's charm circle of ultra-high finance. That's why they always have key representation in the Senate and House. High-powered Wall Street attorneys are members and occasional Supreme Court justice and more frequently the Attorney General of the U.S., Justice Department. Now, the Atlas Missile Program was named after Odlum's Atlas Corporation, the contractor, which was used in the Apollo missions to send astronauts to the moon. Another item on Odlum, his Atlas Corporation hired Alexander Gumberg after he was deported from Norway for Bolshevik-related activities. Considering the superabundance of evidence, pointing to the national and worldwide financial, political, social, and educational influence wielded by the pilgrims and the lack of indications as to there being a front for any other society, the quote attributed to Adam Weishaupt, founder of the Order of Illuminati, applies to the pilgrims better than to any other entity. Quote, the order will thus work silently and securely. And though the generous benefactors of the human race are thus deprived of the applause of the world, they have the noble pleasure of seeing their work prosper in their hand." Unquote. Macro Ops Site said Odlum grew capital by 384,515% over a decade. He was actively hostile to silver mining interests, probably for two reasons. Investor users like to steal silver cheaply, and Adlam, you know, he was connected to the Fed, and he was probably wanting to squeeze silver mining interests into bankruptcy so he could get 
more cheap assets. And um, <clears throat> so, okay, there's a, a website called Titans of Fortune. And here's what it says of Odlum, quote, Goldman Sachs lost more than $100 million in the depression. Odlum acquired it for eight cents on the dollar, saving Goldman Sachs while turning a huge profit. He also acquired domestic and foreign utilities. One of his large investments was Utilities Power and Light Corporation, serving 587 communities in the U.S. and Canada and 488 in Britain. Odlum was the largest stockholder of Hearst Media Empire. He also owned banks, Paramount Studios, RKO Studios, Convair Aircraft, Northeast Airlines, and in the 1950s, Odlum became the largest owner of uranium mines in the world. He was a partner of other great moguls, including Conrad Hilton. Atlas Corp was the second largest stockholder of Hilton Hotels and helped take it public. Odlum, Odlum excuse me for my burp. Odlum and Jackie lived in a 12-room apartment in Manhattan, had a country estate in Connecticut, and a ranch in the California desert where they spent most of their years. President Eisenhower was a frequent guest and wrote his memoirs at their ranch. When the United States Air Force ran out of funds to build a rocket to propel America's first satellites and astronauts into space, Odlum provided the funds. The Atlas rocket was named in his honor, not after strongman Charles Atlas. Odlum's Convair received contracts <clears throat> by 1952 to build intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs, strategic bombers for the Air Force, and the first nuclear-powered aircraft. His wife became the first female pilot to reach supersonic speeds. Now, now this is one of the more important members of the organization. Man, that uh, <laughs> is unbelievable. And it just goes to show that you know, we know the Rockefellers, of course, because everybody talks about them, but all these other powerful players, a lot of people have no idea about them. You know, they might have heard their name and passing here or there. They have no idea how much wealth and power that they were able to consume. And the way a lot of these guys, I think, are able to consume this much power and wealth is because of these partnerships that they have in these groups like the Pilgrim Society. I mean, they, they, they're able to destroy any chances, like you were talking about, these uh, you know, these new startups that, that take off. If you don't join, well, you've got no hope. They'll just destroy you. And so they are able to stamp out competition. And, and there's no such thing as a free market unless it's the black market because they've got everything controlled. That's right. And uh, this COVID thing, when... They concocted this scheme to, to identify business outside of their influence circles as non-essential. Well, the robber barons of the 1800s uh, would have been ch chuckling with joy over that one. I mean, what a scam. I mean, they, uh, they don't compete for wealth. They create real or fake emergencies. Then they use government power to bankrupt people outside of their influence circles. <clears throat> and... Uh, I estimated they they grabbed around 900 billion, but um, uh, Kennedy, that runs the uh, Children's Health Defense, recently said it was 
it's almost four trillion that they've grabbed. Well, I'm trying to get Kennedy's attention because I have something called uh, Pilgrim Society Vaccine Nightmare, which is over 700 pages. And one of his pals said, well, you know, I asked you for proof, but this is too much to read. Well, I don't know how to how to placate people if you want proof. And then, then somebody said, well, it's too much. Well, see, we're, now we're going round and round. I mean, nobody, while standing on one foot, can acquire all the world's knowledge. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's ramp this up a little bit. It's getting long. Yep. Dean Acheson died in 1971. Secretary of State, and he presided over the creation of NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. He inherited a Canadian-based whiskey distillery fortune, which survived prohibition. He was a member of Skull and Key Society of Yale, a formidable counterpart to the more vaunted Skull and Bone Society. Rupert Murdoch, Australian media billionaire, appeared as of 1986 in the Pilgrim's roster. His son James is on the board of directors of Tesla Motors. Robert H. Niehaus, N-I-E-H-A-U-S, Pilgrims 2014, is chairman of Iridium Satellite Network. Previously, Niehaus chaired, that's Dutch, right? Chaired Greenhill Capital Partners. Before that, he was with silver antagonist Morgan Stanley. Another Iridium director is Stephen Pfeiffer, who was with Fulbright and Jaworski, Washington, D.C. lobby firm, and is a Rhodes Scholar. Other Iridium board members, and I'm sure they know about us on Iridium uh, right now, <laughs> other Iridium board members have linkage to the CIA, Bankers Trust, Africa America Institute, Merrill Lynch, J.P. Morgan & Company, Edmund de Rothschild, Private Merchant Banking, etc., Iridium operates 66 satellites orbiting at 485 miles over the planet. Niehaus is on over a dozen other boards due to venture capital financing. Niehaus financed the founding at Princeton University of the Niehaus Center for Globalism and Governance. Niehaus is openly Catholic, but makes no public mention of this royalist organization, the Pilgrims, meaning his final loyalty is to the crown in conflict with the Vatican since King Henry's II's knights sword butchered Thomas Becket, Archbishop of Canterbury in 1170 AD, culminating finally in King Henry VIII starting the Church of England in 1534. And here's a really interesting character. Ethan Allen Hitchcock, attorney, Born 1909, year of death uncertain. Grandson of Ethan Allen Hitchcock, who died in 1909. The grandfather was U.S. envoy to Russia, 1897-1898, and then became Secretary of the Interior, 1899-1907. The grandfather was placed on the boards of several mining and railroad corporations, as he had done favors for mining kingpin James B. Hagen, Pilgrims, 1907. Now, the River Press at Fort Benton, Montana, January 2, 1907, page 4, stated that Interior Secretary Hitchcock aided James B. Hagen in stealing 130 million board feet of timber for use in Hagen's gargantuan anaconda copper silver mine in Montana 
for the pittance of $156,000, we noticed Hitchcock's grandson surfacing in the Pilgrim's roster 1969 and later years he was a trustee of Lenox Hill Hospital and he chaired Olivetti Underwood Corporation and also Channel 13 Educational Broadcasting Corporation. He married into railroad money. The Hitchcock who assisted Hagen we read on wiki was part of a so-called commission house in China in 1866 very likely an opium peddler. These Hitchcocks are descended from the founder of the state of Vermont. Frederick H. Brandy, 1978, dubbed a superstar banker by Businessweek, Brandy played a major role in the destruction of non-member Howard Hughes. Brandy headed American South African Limited, a gold trust, American yeah, South African Gold Trust, and was on assorted boards like uh, National Cash Register Company and um, I think he was on uh, Goodyear or Firestone, one or the other. A a anyway, there's an interesting site called littlesis.org, which is quite interesting. Well, there's actually some members, members uh, described there, but not in real terms. And also there's another one called the PRA book. And uh, well, I could just go on and on, New York Social Diary, et cetera. These are just dignified people, right? Well, <clears throat> to connect to Frederick Brandy, uh, wiping out Harold Hughes, there was another one who died in 1997 named Gilbert Fitzhugh. He headed Metropolitan Life and he helped to take Transworld Airlines away from non-member Howard Hughes. Now, the third member that wrecked Hughes was David Rockefeller. What happened was Hughes, this is around 1962 or three, Hughes went to the New York finance community to get $400 million for capital expansion. And they said, sure, we'll, we'll loan you the money, but here's a document for you to sign in case an adverse development comes up, you won't be able to vote the 78.23% ownership that you have. Well, they arranged for an adverse development to come up and they took it away from Hughes and then they, they made him cough up $160 million in fines for allegedly mismanaging his own company. Uh, so yeah, Howard Hughes, Jack Northrop, Charles Goodyear, uh, other significant capitalists over the decades, uh, they'll bankrupt him. They got no chances. <laughs> well, I mean, this thing, this thing can be fought, but it can't be fought by ignoring it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what's been done, you know. Nobody wants to talk about these things, and uh, you know, you get called a conspiracy theorist for bringing and bringing it up. A lot of times, no matter how much uh, information or how much evidence you have, because people don't want to face the truth, you know, they almost would rather just put their head in the sand and then just kind of go along to get along. And, and then the, you know, when the crap hits the fan then they're left asking, well, how did that happen? Well, you know, it happened because you didn't care and you, you didn't want to put the time in to actually look and see what was really going on. Yeah. Well, I've got just a few more here and we'll try to make it brief. Uh, William McChesney Martin Jr. Died in 1998. 
head of the Federal Reserve System, 1951-70, then chaired a committee to reorganize the New York Stock Exchange. He was a director of Eli Lilly Pharma, U.S. Steel, American Express, Royal Dutch Petroleum, Riggs National Bank, member of the President's Soviet Protocol Committee, William E. Simon, died in 2000. <clears throat> Treasury Secretary, who bombed gold down to $105 from $200, and the key member of the Commodity Exchange Board when the Hunt Arab Silver Play was crushed. Director of Citibank, Xerox, Halliburton, Dart Industries, etc. Member National Commission on Supplies and Shortages. Member President's Oil Policy Committee related by marriage to a member of the Royal Portuguese House of Porges, P-O-R-G-E-S. Chaired the John M. Owen Foundation, named after an older member. Numerous levers of power in Simon's hands. C. Treasury officials lies about gold, number 107 at nosilvernationalization.org. Arthur Burns, 1987. Headed the Fed from 1971 to 78. Alfred Hayes, 1989. Rhodes Scholar. Headed the New York Federal Reserve Bank. Set up central bank gold swap networks with foreign central banks in 14 countries. Later headed Morgan Stanley International, Director, National Distillers and Chemical. <clears throat> Cordell Hull, 1955, authored the Inheritance Tax and Progressive Income Tax, both of which Pilgrim Society members had ways to sidestep. He presided over the International Monetary Conference in London in 1933 at the Geological Museum at which it was agreed that England could continue dumping tens of millions of ounces of Indian silver for several more years onto the world market. Hull is remembered as the father of the United Nations. Secretary of State, the Cordell Hull Foundation has Pilgrim Society members as trustees. Viscount Cecil of Chelmsford, 1958, remembered as father of the League of Nations and one of the five most powerful English dynasties since the 1500s and linked by marriage to the immense Vanderbilt Railroad fortune. Uh, you should see the mansion in England that was built for the first Lord Cecil. It, it just defies description. Clarence Dillon, 1979, was called the brilliant financier of the 1920s by Business Week magazine, 1974. Father of another Pilgrims member who became Treasury Secretary and took America off silver coins, Douglas Dillon, 2003. Second generation member. His father was Clarence Dillon, and uh, Douglas was Treasury Secretary 61 to 65 led the battle to end silver coinage. Afterwards, he became a board member at Chase Manhattan Bank and AT&T. He ran Dillon Reed and Company, also United States and Foreign Securities, United States and International Securities. His daughter became Princess Joan of Luxembourg, and he was on the Pilgrims Executive Committee over 20 years, again showing this pattern of major silver suppressors being in Pilgrims Management. Now, Robert Rusa, 1993, Rhodes Scholar, with the Nifed, then with Brown Brothers Harriman at 59 Wall Street, trustee of the Rockefeller Foundation, 
Director of Prudential Life, Texaco, Owens Corning Fiberglass, American Express, and see the item on Rusa at the start page of silverstealers.net. Who controls the gold stealing New York Fed Bank? In that document, you will also find proof that the Warburgs were members of the Pilgrims as well. Thomas J. Watson, Sr. Senior died 1950-60. Yeah, we mentioned he, he ran IBM for many years. He was a trustee or director of dozens of major organizations. Frank Vanderlip died 1937. A major organizer of the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, Vanderlip was with National Citibank, Assistant Treasury Secretary on various boards, became a major land developer in California, including marine land of the Pacific, the base for many episodes of Sea Hunt TV series. Now, Henrik N. Vanderlip, his great-grandson, alive, 2014 Pilgrim's roster. See number 219 at org. Globalist grandson of Federal Reserve schemer. Robert Huntington Knight, 2006. Member International Satellite Arbitration Panel. Chair of the New York Fed Bank and was a high-powered attorney. Percy Avery Rockefeller died 1934. <clears throat> Nephew of Rockefeller Sr. And a director of more than 50 corporations, including Air Reduction Company, Airco, American International Corporation, Atlantic Fruit Company, Anaconda Copper Mining Company, Bethlehem Steel Corporation, Bowman Biltmore Hotels Company, Cuba Company, Chile Copper Company, Consolidated Gas Company, Greenwich Trust Company, W.A. Harriman & Company, Harriman was a member, Brown Brothers Harriman & Company, Mesabe Iron Company, National City Bank of New York, and New York Edison Company, North American Reassurance Company, National Surety Company, Provident Loan Society of New York, which is a, uh, a high-powered pawn shop is what it is, Remington Arms, United Electric Light and Power Company, Western Union, etc. Well, Percy Avery Rockefeller cost investors $150 million in the 1920s in a complex swindle involving Anaconda Copper. Okay, here's the guy whose name I couldn't remember a while ago. Glenn T. Seaborg, S-E-A-B-O-R-G, like a Borg that came out of the sea, right? He died in 1999. He's a Swedish descent. He has an extremely long listing in Who's Who. Key figure in the Manhattan Project, 1942 to 46, which used fantastic amounts of silver and created the atomic bombs dropped on Japan. Seaborg played a major role in the discovery of American, Americum, Berkelium, Californium, Curium, Einsteinium, Fermium, Mendelevium, and Nobelium, and identified more than 100 element isotopes throughout the periodic table. Chairman, Atomic Energy Commission, 1961 to 71, Chancellor, University of California, Director of various scientific technical corporations and Director of World Future Society. Now here's a really good one to cap it off. Gerald Cavendish Grosvenor, 
His Grace the Duke of Westminster died in 2016. I believe he was only 64. See number 185 at nosilvernationalization.org for a free access, that is to say, no paywall, 347-page report on this inner circle pilgrims member who literally owned London and owned huge swaths of land across the globe and upscale realty developments and skyscrapers in 70 major cities, including the Wells Fargo Tower in Los Angeles and owned Wheat Sheaf Group, planning to feed the world's commoners with soldier flying maggots and treated sewage. His family owned an opium ship as far back as 1786. His wife, Natalia, descended from Russian nobility. His wealth in modern terms is reckoned at 300 billion plus. Now, like Burt Reynolds said in one of his movies, I quit. <laughs> wow, man. That I've got other was... details, but let's quit for now. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll definitely continue here maybe next week or we'll figure out a night to do that. This has been amazing. I knew it would be. And uh, I can't wait to, uh, I mean, there's just so much information. I want to go back and, and listen myself and, and take down notes. And uh, it's just fabulous information that you brought to us. And, and ladies and gentlemen, you, you will not hear all this information anywhere else. But Charles, he's the one that's brought all this stuff together. You know, other people have worked on it, but you'll not find the wealth of information that he has. N nowhere near it. So thank you so much, Charles, for coming on the show once again and enlightening us on the Pilgrim Society. One last and, quick uh, item. Absolutely. One last quick item. Uh, if people want something interesting to read in the meantime, you can see the number 146 at nosilvernationalization.org on the 1965 Coinage Act and the Pilgrims Society. Uh, a lot of members of Congress that ran this act through, guess what? They were later inducted into membership. Uh, <laughs> taking the country off of silver. Wow. So that's, it, it's all a big club and we ain't in it. Is uh, and, and I even heard back from a member of one of these families on this thing. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, a member of the Pell and Halland families. I've got it in my inbox. I can't quote it off the top of my head, but, but he acted like, well, you know, you, you wrote all that and so what? And, uh, you know, and he was saying that his family owned the biggest ship fleet of ships in New York Harbor in the 1920s. Well, Senator Claiborne Pell, Rhode Island, was inheritor of a bunch of fortunes, including uh, a patent for shock absorbers on vehicles. <laughs> wow. Every freaking industry you can think of. It's amazing. Well, Charles, uh, you mentioned nosilvernationalization.org. No you have two other websites as well. Would you care to mention those? Well, uh, the, the first one is uh, silversteelers.net. And then uh, for those of you who reside in Texas or for those of you who have some uh, uh, pet, uh, dog or cat that you're fond of, you can check out Texas Pet Protect. Dot org, which if you like satire, you'll find a lot of it there. And it even has to do with the Texas Attorney General's office refusing to go after a certain group because of uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. 
Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you once again for being on, and I look forward to the next show. Okay. Adios. Well, that concludes Robert Barron's of Pilgrims Part 2 with Charles Savoy. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me. Thank you especially to my wonderful patrons. Thank you to Alternate Current Radio for carrying the show. I want to wish all of you a very, very happy 2022. I hope that you are doing great, and I can't wait to bring you a lot more content this year, including more videos, more guests, and a lot more ideas. And thank you for sharing your ideas and your feedback with me. I will talk to you very soon. Cheers and blessings. And remember, their order is not our order. See you guys. Thank you.